Hi, everyone, and welcome to 2023 and this episode of Capital Chats. I'm your host, Michelle Johnson, and we'll be joined by IASB lobbyist Emily Piper to give us a preview of the upcoming legislative session, which starts next Monday, January 9th. But before we jump in, I want to let everyone know that I am the new government relations director here at IASB. Phil Jennery took a new job, but he will still be lobbying, so you can still find him at the Capitol if you wish. I've worked at IASB for five years and I've learned a ton about education policy, school finance, and school boards overall. Before I started at IASB, I did work a couple legislative sessions at the Capitol and on a campaign. I graduated from Iowa State with a degree in economics, so I'm excited to jump into this position right as the legislative session kicks off. If you ever have questions, ideas on advocacy, or just want to talk about the cyclones, please don't hesitate to call or email me. I look forward to working more closely with all of you as we push our legislative goals and further advocate for public education. So let's get down to business. The legislature convenes next week after an election year, which means plenty of new faces, new committee chairs, and new goals. So Emily, what does the political landscape look like and who are the new names we should get to know this year? Well, Michelle, welcome aboard. I'm excited to have you up at the Capitol with me, and I hope that you're still as excited about being at the Capitol after this year's legislative session adjourns sometime at the end of April, maybe May. I think that the thing that's kind of interesting about a redistricting year is is all of the changes and all of the faces. And one of the facts that I think is kind of astonishing is that one third of the legislature, that includes both the House and the Senate, one third of them are new, people who we we don't know, we don't have those strong relationships with yet. And that presents quite a challenge as we get to know them. I'll just point out there's 53 new legislators, 39 in the House and 14 in the Senate. The other big change that happened, Michelle, is that we've got new committee chairs now. And that happened because of some retirements, um, shuffling around as people sought other opportunities. So that's going to be a new experience for us as well, learning to work with these new chairs. Frankly, it's a lot easier when you get to work with the same people year in and year out. But this year, we will be working with two new education committee chairs in both the House and the Senate and two new ed budget committee chairs in both chambers. Finally, there's the this new House Ed Reform Committee, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I think everybody's kind of curious to see what this leadership committee is going to accomplish. And I guess I'd just close, and this probably doesn't come as any surprise, but with the Republican supermajority, the pressure to pass the governor's education agenda, which includes vouchers or school choice, call it what you want, it's all the same thing, is going to be pretty strong. So as you mentioned, we will be having a lot of change this year with the new members, new committee chairs. And one of those new committees is the House Education Reform Committee, which is only in the House, not in the Senate. So what can you tell us about this, especially since we're used to seeing bills just pass through the House Education Committee? How is it going to be different from what happens? So, you know, I've been doing this a long, long, long time, and I have never seen a special committee comprised solely of House leadership. So this Ed Reform Committee has the top three Republican leaders. It's a five-person committee and two Democrats, including the top Democrat leader. And what we've heard is their purpose is to push through the governor's education agenda. So that would include school choice, transparency, parental bill of rights. There's some discussion about removing the silos on categoricals so districts have more flexibility. As Michelle mentioned, there's no other committee like this in the Senate, so it'll be interesting to see how those two interact. And at the end of the day, there's still a lot of education issues that won't be included in the governor's agenda, and those will go through the more traditional process. As you mentioned, vouchers will again be top of mind for everyone, especially the governor. 
thanks to a lot of hard work, we've been able to stop it the past couple of years. We've done a lot of meeting with legislators. A lot of you as school board members have met with those same legislators. So we've been able to put a stop to them. But how do we do it again this year? And what is the outlook? Well, the first thing I'd say, Michelle, on vouchers is let's not fall into this trap that the pro-voucher crowd is promoting, which is this is a done deal. This is far from a done deal. They do not have 51 votes. Yes, it's fair to say we are not as confident and secure as we were last year in what it was going to take for them to get to 51, but we're still fighting. There's still a battle. And until they actually give up or get to 51, we will continue to fight. So the battle's in the House. I mean, the Senate has consistently passed this. We might get one or two, maybe three no votes in the Senate, but we're really focusing on that crowd of soft no's. Those are people that were around last year that that weren't really thrilled and kind of went back and forth on where they stood, as well as the new Republican legislators coming in. I keep hearing that they're all 100% behind the governor's proposal on vouchers. Well, in our conversations, that's not been shown to be true. So we'll be really targeting our efforts in there. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to depend on what the proposal looks like. If you remember last year, Michelle, they kept throwing things out to see what would stick and how many votes they could buy with that. I fully anticipate we'll see the same thing again. You know, I think the real question is, knowing that it's primarily rural house Republicans that have stood in the way, what kind of bone are they going to throw to those school districts and those school boards to get them to back off so that their legislators will help them get to 51? So as Emily said, you know, this is not a done deal. So please keep up your advocacy, especially if you do live in a rural district. It's important that those legislators know that there are not a lot of private school options for students and that public schools are the right choice for students in your district. So please don't stop with that advocacy on vouchers. As a result of vouchers not passing last year, there was a lot of other policy initiatives that also didn't make it through last session that seemed to have enough support, specifically around teacher licensure and trying to address the teacher shortage. Do you think these ideas will come back this year with any chance of passing? You know, I'm absolutely confident that they will, because I keep hearing from both Senate and House Republicans, in addition to Democrats, because I think everybody recognizes that we have teacher shortage issues and that we need to address that, that they want to do something, anything to help move more people into the pipeline and to keep more people in the teaching profession. So I fully anticipate that we will be engaged in that debate again and pushing through. And as you said, Both of these issues had a lot of support last year. In fact, they passed both chambers and they fell victim to, we couldn't pass vouchers, so we're not going to do these other things. I hope that even if vouchers fails to become law this year, we don't put some of these important issues again on the back burner because they're important not just to our public schools, but they're important to our private schools. School districts are always looking for more flexibility when it comes to using their resources that they do get, and they want to use them wisely and in the best interest of their students. So does the legislature have an interest in passing legislation to allow more flexibility this year? We always say that the legislature likes local control until they don't like local control. I do think that this idea of giving public schools more flexibility is something that leadership and the governor are talking about because they view that as the way to offset passing vouchers. But beyond that, I hear a lot of discussion about the fact that we need to make schools more nimble in their ability to respond, and that's going to include giving them more flexibility. The two big things that I think we will see, um, number one, we talked earlier about the categoricals. I think they're looking at some of those funds and removing the fact that that money is segregated and allowing districts to still meet program requirements, but use money across the board in terms of where their priorities are. 
And the second thing that we've heard a lot about in the field is taking a look at the general requirements and accreditation standards for both public and private schools and figuring out are there things in there that we don't need to be requiring of schools to do anymore? Or are there ways we can give them more freedom to tailor what happens in a district to their community's needs? So I'm excited that we're going to actually have some serious discussion, but I'm always a little pessimistic because we've seen across the years that local control depends on what we're allowing them to control. Right, of course. It's important to keep that in mind. Something that isn't just specific to education has been tax reform. The legislature has been very focused on tax reform over the past couple of legislative sessions, specifically income tax reform. But now we're hearing that possibly property tax reform might be on the table trying to address the property tax burden on Iowans. As you all know, property taxes make up a large portion of school funding. So what do we know about these changes and what could be on the horizon for property taxes? Well, there's no doubt when both the chairs of both the House and the Senate Ways and Means Committee have been talking pretty publicly that we need to do something to rein in property taxes, that this is going to be something we'll be talking about. But the one thing that I keep coming back to is, number one, unlike cities and counties, a school's general fund budget is controlled by the legislature. We can only increase by the amount of SSA that we're given in terms of the general fund budget. Secondly, because of the property tax replacement payments and some changes over the years, there's only about 30% of a school's general fund budget that actually comes from property taxes. So there's not a lot of room there for further belt tightening. I think our bigger issue is going to be taking a look at all the special levies that we have, the management levy, cash reserve levy, PEPL, PEARL, some of those things. Those are ones that I think we're more vulnerable in this discussion because they're not controlled by the legislature per se. Some of them have limits on their rates, and I think we're going to see some attention focused on that. But I'm relatively confident that the majority of the attention is going to be placed on cities and counties who set their budget and then set their tax rates accordingly. We've laid out a bunch of issues for all of you to keep in mind, and you're probably all wondering how you can get involved and let your legislator know what your district's priorities are and how these might affect you. ISB is, of course, here to help. We have revamped our issue toolkits to align with our Success for All Students public policy agenda. Those will provide you with talking points and resources. And if you're not sure who your legislators are, since they may have changed or you've been redistricted to have a new legislator, you can find them and their contact info on our website. And because it was an election year, please remember your legislator may have changed. So maybe just check, even if you think you know who it is. It's a great time this week, next week, to introduce yourself and let them know you can be a resource for them. Offer to provide stories and data from your district. This helps them make your case and in turn helps legislators make their case with their fellow legislators and colleagues. ISB can help provide you with district-specific data if you need it, or if your legislators request it. Some of them are numbers people, some of them are more anecdotes and stories people. And if you prove to be a reliable source, legislators will look to you for your input when important bills are on the horizon, which is the position you want to be in. A perfect opportunity to advocate is ISB's annual Day on the Hill, which will be held this year on February 14th in Des Moines. Can register on our website and we'll also be providing regular updates on what's happening at the Capitol and board briefs, which we send out each Friday. But if you have questions in the meantime, just let us know. Thanks for listening. <laughs>